Hey, uh, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to be here, although I feel in fairness that Eric has only been my friend because my name is Josh, as I've discovered uh, being here. Uh, how many of you also have this fantastic name? No, it, it really is an absolute honor and privilege to be able to be here, to be able to speak to you guys tonight. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Imagine Church. We are just up the road in Albertville, and we launched in uh, December of 2015, so about three months uh, after Eric and Mosaic launched. And so over the last almost six years, I've had the opportunity to get to know your lead pastor. I've been able to spend time uh, praying with him. We've experienced times of laughter and we've experienced times of tears. And here's what I know, that I am thankful for your guys' church that I am thankful for the way that you are continuing to follow what you feel God has, has called you uh, to be a part of. And so uh, as we spend time just continuing this Joshua series tonight, um, it's something that I tell my own congregation almost every single Sunday, and that is that my hope and prayer is that tonight you and I have the courage to listen and the humility to respond to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit might want to speak into our hearts I think it's so important that we have that mindset, the courage to listen. But it's not just about listening. It's also about like, what does God want to tangibly change in each of our lives? And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is just always at work in each and every one of us. Uh, the mission that we have at my church is to inspire new beginnings that change ourselves and others through Christ. And so it's built around this idea that God is constantly moving and that we want to be tangibly changed and moved. And so uh, I'm excited and thankful to be able to be here. My son was really thankful to be able to come because he likes hanging out with anyone and everyone. And so we have uh, two boys in our family. Um, and so uh, our oldest is 10, our youngest is six. And so uh, my 10-year-old is ginormous. He takes after his dad. Um, that was a recent family photo that we took. Uh, my wife is not short. She is 5'6". My son is just a monster. And so uh, my prayer has been that he stops growing at some point because otherwise, I'll tell you what, man, shoes and sweatpants, I feel like every other day my wife is coming to me and it's like, we got to buy him new ones. It's like, no, uh, stop growing. So... Uh, we are very thankful for our boys. They are incredibly active. Uh, Elijah, my oldest, is my mini-me. It's why he's here with me tonight. He would be with me 24-7, 365 if I let him. And so uh, he's in very intense as, as a kid, and, uh, which drives me nuts. Uh, but whenever I complain to my mom about it, she's like, man, you reap what you sow. So uh, there's no empathy or sympathy from her. Uh, she's like, now you get just a little window into what you were like growing up. It's like, you can't be intense about boxes of cereal. Like, just stop this. It's seven in the morning. Go somewhere else. But uh, I'm excited to be today, uh, tonight, to be able to continue your guys' series on the book of Joshua and this concept of, of courage over fear. And man, I really love that because for me, it's so easy to fall into the temptation to just give into fear. It's so many given situations in my life. And so this morning slash tonight, because I'm in that preacher mode, <laughs> not doing this at night, but uh, tonight we're going to be turning to Joshua chapter seven. Uh, Joshua chapter seven is where we're going to be looking. If you have your Bible with you um, or your screen, like I said, Joshua seven, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, and so it's early on, uh, but Joshua 7, and as you're turning there, I just have a question for you uh, that I want us to reflect on for just a second. Uh, have you ever made a mistake, and yet even when you realized it, like you just kind of kept doing it? 
Like, have you ever made a mistake and when you finally realized what was going on, like you knew you probably should stop or probably should change, but you just kept going. Uh, growing up, my family always spent a week at my grandparents' cabin. It was one of the highlights of the summer, and so we would count down every year to going into uh, being at, with my, my aunts and uncles and all of my cousins, and I remember that uh, I would always count down to turning 10. I mean, there was a very specific reason for that. Number one, because when you're young, birthdays are literally the greatest thing of all time. Cake, presents, let, let's go. Um, but number two is uh, when you turn 10, for the first time, you were given the ability to try and water ski when you went to the cabin with my grandparents. And so the summer that I turned 10, I was so excited to be able to go and experience the cabin. And sure enough, that week came around. And uh, on the second day, I remember my grandpa said, are you ready to go? Um, and that afternoon, we all gathered down at the beach. A lot of my uh, aunts and uncles were there. And uh, on the shore, the younger kids were out swimming in the water. And uh, I have a cousin that's the same age as me. Her name is Kristen, and she uh, also obviously was 10. And so she was given the opportunity to go first water skiing. And so she went out, and, and literally, like, the first time that she gave the thumbs up, like, she just got up right away. And there's something that I need to clue you in on. I would not describe myself as the world's greatest athlete, but I grew up playing sports, uh, played sports in high school, played sports in college. And so while I am clearly not the next LeBron James or Michael Jordan, like I've always been a fairly decent athlete. And so my cousin Kristen, if I was on the athletic end of the spectrum, could not have been more opposite from me. Like, there was not an athletic bone in her body, gifted in so many other ways, but athletics not at all. And I remember, as I watched her get up the very first time, I remember tangibly thinking to myself, how hard can this possibly be? In fact, as I was sitting on the shore watching her go around the lake, like, I knew that when my turn came that I was going to get up the very first time, that it probably was going to be an epic moment that would be captured and go down in history. Like, it was, there would never have been or will be a 10-year-old who had water skied better that very first time. And so Kristen got done and everybody politely clapped on the shoreline and it became my turn. And so I remember I went and I got into the water, I got the skis on, they were tipped up, and just before, just before I finally was going to get this opportunity to show that once and for all, I was the world's greatest 10-year-old water skier, I remember that my uncle who was out in the water with me just simply said, whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. Whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. And so I gave the thumbs up to my grandpa. He went ahead and he hit the throttle on the speedboat and we took off. And it literally took about three tenths of one second for me to fail absolutely miserably. My skis were, were floating behind me. My swim trunks were, were piled off like in the middle of the lake. And all I could think of in my mind was I knew that I had to try my best to get the skis back out in front of me. I was completely unaware, unaware of the fact that everything had been left so far behind. And so all of a sudden as we're going and as I'm trying with everything in my 10-year-old body to get my feet back out from uh, uh, out on top of the water, I realized something that was incredibly hard. And that was when I had given the thumbs up, I had inhaled a giant amount of water and I realized that I couldn't breathe. But I knew that if I were to let go of the rope, 
that I would be admitting failure, that I would be admitting defeat. And I knew that I needed to let go, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. Even though the mistake had been made, I couldn't bring myself to a place where I was actually able to let go of the rope. Thankfully, my grandpa had a lot more sense than I did, and so he ended up killing the power on the speedboat. Uh, I promptly swam to the boat, got a towel, went to the shore, and declared to anyone who would listen that water skiing was stupid, uh, and I would never, ever, ever do it again. But, but I think that there's some reality that you and I oftentimes live the same way. That, we're, that we have a hard time admitting when we are in the midst of brokenness. That you and I can have a hard time admitting that the choices that we have made are not leading us to a place that we want to go. Sometimes when it comes to our sin and this idea of brokenness that exists in our lives, we don't think about the ramifications. And so it starts out as something that is small. We just tell a really simple or small white lie, but that lie just continues to morph and to change. It continues to grow, and we find ourselves getting deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Sometimes we find ourselves responding in certain moments in anger or frustration, and we didn't even mean for it to get to the place that it did, but, but we just become so angry or so upset. Have you ever made a mistake, and yet even when you realized it, you just continued to keep going. I think sometimes maybe the biggest challenge that we have when it comes to making mistakes is that we think that we're actually okay. That we're not really hurting anybody by the decision that we make. That we're the ones that are in control and that while we might be hurting ourselves, that it's not actually affecting or uh, being uh, uh, felt by anyone who is around us. And so I want to be able to talk to us tonight a little bit around this idea that you and I can make choices that can lead to victory or they can lead to failure. That you and I can make choices that can lead to victory or that can lead to failure. And so I'm excited to be able to use the lens of scripture to be able to see that tonight. Um, and so, uh, like I said, we're going to be turning and looking at Joshua chapter 7. And I know last week you guys uh, kind of talked around the story of Jericho that finished up in Joshua chapter 6. And what's interesting to me is the way that Joshua chapter 6 ends. Like the last verse of the story of the great victory at Jericho says, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Man, I, I read a verse like that, and I would almost expect, like if I was anticipating how scripture was going to look, that chapter seven would begin by saying, you know, so Joshua and his people rolled from victory to victory. Like they just kept crushing everyone that was around them. And why not? I mean, Jericho is the chief Canaanite city. Like if Jericho could fall to Joshua and to his men, if God could deliver that city to them, then what other city in the region stood any kind of a chance? But that's not what we find at the start of chapter seven. In fact, the first verse kind of give us a Cliff Notes version of the story that we get to unpack together tonight. And so chapter seven, uh, verse one, chapter seven of Joshua, verse one, it says this, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. 
Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And we get done reading a verse like that, and I always feel like I need to raise my hand and be like, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said about the thing? Like, what in the world is going on in the midst of this? Like, we just said a lot of words that I have no idea what any of those are. But what has taken place is that Achan, a guy by the name of Achan, has been uh, an army, and he was a part of the capture of the city of Jericho. And there were some very specific instructions that were given That when Jericho was to be defeated, that they were not to take anything for themselves. Like anything that they could find was to be given back to God. And so Achan decides to do the exact opposite of that. He thinks to himself, listen, I have this opportunity. There are some things that are here. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to take them. You know, choices that we make in moments can lead us to victory or they can lead us to failure. And I think sometimes we don't recognize the magnitude of sometimes what we believe are simple decisions that actually can have a really profound and lasting impact on our lives. I'm really thankful that my grandpa had the wisdom and the foresight to cut the motor because I know how competitive and driven I am. Like, I'm not sure, like I still might be being dragged around the lake today to this day if I had done that in the moment And sometimes we don't even realize how simple decisions that we make can have a really profound impact. And so Achan decides to keep some of this plunder. And because of that, as we're going to discover in just a moment, Israel ends up experiencing a crushing defeat. They've just taken care of the major city in the region. There's no reason for them to be terrified anymore. This has been their biggest victory And so Joshua looks around and he says, listen, we're just going to continue our conquest. And so he finds a city by the name of Ai. It's north of the city of Jericho, about 10 to 12 miles or so. And he says, listen, uh, I'm going to send some people. We're going to go take a look. And so he spends, uh, sends some spies. The spies go, they take a look at this city. They come back to Joshua and they said, hey, listen, this city is nothing like Jericho. Like, if we defeated Jericho, this will be a walk in the park. In fact, you don't even need to send the entire army. You just need to send a fraction of the people. But if you just send just a few thousand people, they won't have any problem taking care of uh, defeating and destroying this city. And so Joshua does exactly that. He only sends 3,000 men. And they go to this city and they, they suffer an absolutely humbling and significant defeat. It is incredibly crushing to them. In fact, in uh, chapter 7, verse 4, it says, About 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, and they became like water. The hearts of the people melted in fear, and they became like water. I mean, this is expected to be the victory march for Israel. This was expected to be they'd already defeated Jericho, and so the expectation was, we're just going to keep the good times rolling. But you and I make choices that can either lead to victory, or they can lead to failure, 
And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of this, that sin impacts everyone. That sin impacts everyone. I think sometimes when it comes to our own things that we have going on, and let's just be honest in this setting, everybody including and especially myself have things in life that we deal with. Uh, temptations that we give into, ways that uh, we know that we uh, just experience and have brokenness in our lives. Uh, sometimes it manifests itself through addiction. Sometimes it manifests itself uh, through anger or through unforgiveness. Sometimes it manifests itself through lying or cheating or stealing. But like I said, so often we view the sin and the brokenness that we have as being something that is just our own. That if it's a personal sin or something that only us is dealing with, that it doesn't really affect or harm anybody else. And so we think to ourselves, if it doesn't really affect anyone, then what is the problem? And I think that none of us really understand the ramifications of the choices that you and I make. And so we use the excuse that I'm the only one that is affected. And we oftentimes use that as a way to justify private practices that can cause immeasurable harm sometimes to other people. And so sometimes private sin seems to have no effect on others because no one knows about it. At least no one knows about it yet. In Numbers chapter 23, scripture warns, be sure your sin will find you out. Private sin will always become public, reaping consequences beyond one's control. And so when it is a, a pattern of sin, when there's brokenness that we have, it's so important that we understand that the choice that we make to deal with it or to not deal with it can literally be the difference between victory or failure in our lives and as we build on that idea, sin will impact every single one of us. And this is what has happened with the nation of Israel. They had expected that they were just going to go and just keep steamrolling what had already been taking place. But because of one person's disobedience, they suffer a pretty horrific and costly defeat that literally makes the people go from being excited to being incredibly down and even doubting what is about to take place. And so Joshua, being the leader that he is, responds. And he actually responds in a really interesting way. In verse 6, it says this, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Now what exactly is going on here? Like what, what is taking place you know, it's really interesting to me that this is the way that Joshua chooses to respond. They've just experienced this crushing defeat. It has been incredibly unexpected. And what Joshua experiences something that he isn't sure what exactly uh, or why exactly it took place or what exactly is going on. His response mechanism is not to question himself. It is not to begin to try to analyze or gather around with his uh, uh, generals or his other leaders and try to figure out if they needed a new strategy but the moment that they find themselves facing a crushing defeat, he finds himself on his face before God. And I wonder, when was the last time you found yourself face down before God when things didn't go your way? Like, when was the last time you found yourself there? You know, I grew up in the church and have been a pastor now in ministry for almost 
uh, almost two decades. I spent about a decade as a youth pastor and then um, over the last six years have transitioned and obviously become the lead pastor and church planter at Imagine Church. And here's what I know. That so often, even in the church world, when we experience something that doesn't go the way that we want it to go, immediately we go into strategy. Immediately we go into evaluating what was it that we did wrong? What was it that that we needed to do that is different? I'm not saying that those things are bad, but what I am saying is this. I love the example that Joshua sets The moment something doesn't go the way that he thought that it was going to go, he doesn't find himself in a place where he's strategizing. He finds himself in a place where he is on his knees before God. And so he, of course, was stunned by the defeat, the catastrophe at Ai. And so his actions and the actions of those of his elders, they were in keeping with the Hebrew rites of mourning and despair, being prostrate before the ark of the Lord suggests that they were humbling themselves before God, that they were not guilty of calloused indifference, but they they were showing a deep concern and a need for God's hand. But in that moment, they needed his intervention In that moment, maybe more importantly, they needed his wisdom. And I wonder, is this the way that you and I choose to respond when we are faced with challenging circumstances or difficult choices? Is this the way that you and I respond when things don't go the way that we want it to go? Because oftentimes, I think we underestimate how significant decisions that we make are. We make choices that can lead to victory or we can make choices that lead to failure. And so God chooses to respond at the end of the day. And by the way, sometimes even if we do give lip service to prayer, like we might do it for 15 minutes. In fact, if we're really crazy, it might be an hour or a couple of hours. But Joshua and his elders, man, they literally lay all day in from morning until evening in front of the Ark of the Covenant, just seeking after God. And so finally God chooses to respond. We pick back up the story in verse 10. It says this, then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Picking back up in verse 14, it goes on to say, in the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. And the clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all the things that belongs to him. For he has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in the midst of Israel. It's interesting to me that this is the way that God chooses to respond back. Joshua and his elders have just spent the entire day on their faces praying before God. And what he chooses to respond, he points out something. He says, listen, there's some brokenness that's been experienced in your camp. 
in the nation of Israel, there's some people that have done some things that they shouldn't have done. And they think that they've been able to get away with it, but I know what has happened and what has taken place. You know, sin will always bring consequences that must be faced. Sin will always bring consequences that must be faced. And so Joshua goes and he follows this command that God gives him. And so I wonder what was going on in the heart of Achan in that moment. Have you ever thought about that? Like what was going on with Achan in this moment? He knows that 3,000 guys have been sent up. He knows that they expected to walk away with victory. He hears the report that has come through. And by the way, 36 people have died. That's 36 husbands. That's 36 fathers that are not returning back to their wives and their children. This is something that would have been felt by the entire community. And I wonder what Achan was thinking and going through in that moment, knowing that there had been a very specific instruction that had been given. Don't take anything. And it's exactly what Achan has done. Sin always brings consequences that must be faced. And we work so hard to convince ourselves that brokenness that we have in our lives will never truly come to the light of day. But I'm here to tell you, I think that if we begin to buy into and believe that lie, that you and I are wrong and that we put ourselves in a position where we will experience failure, choices that we make can lead us to victory or choices that we make can lead us to failure and so Joshua begins this process he does exactly what God has commanded him to do and so they bring the 12 tribes up they do something called casting lots through that it is broken down uh, to Achan's tribe from there it goes down and clan by clan family by family his family is not getting eliminated in fact they're staying and it gets all the way down to the point that we're left with just Achan himself. And Joshua comes forward and he confronts him. Verse 19, it says this, and Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. And I appreciate the candor of the way that Achan chooses to respond because honestly, I think that we don't oftentimes have the courage that Achan had in this moment because when we're confronted sometimes with things that we have done, it's a lot easier to give excuses. It's a lot easier to come up with reasons why we actually didn't do whatever it is that we did. In fact, sometimes we work really hard to continue to hide whatever it is. But Achan doesn't, excuse me, Achan does not choose to respond this way. Verse 20, Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver that is underneath. Achan comes clean and he admits readily and right away to what he has done. He's never anticipated in a million years that his decision that he made would have such a profound and lasting impact, not only on the nation of Israel, but honestly, on his own family. Because what the Bible continues to go on and say is that because of the disobedience of Achan, eventually him and his family end up perishing and passing away. It's the punishment that, they, uh, that God had given uh, Joshua to carry out. 
Sin will always bring consequences that you and I need to face. And I wonder tonight, have there been things in your own life that you've tried really hard to hide? And here's what I think the reality is. That when we step outside of the boundaries of what God, or the ways that God has called us to live, we know when we're living in brokenness. We know that we're making mistakes. And yet so often, even when we realize that that mistake has been made, we just continue on. We just continue on. We justify our actions. We think to ourselves, it's really not that big of a thing. You and I make choices that can lead us to victory or you and I can make choices that can lead us to failure. And here's the deal. It's not just the impact that it has on us. It's the impact that it has on our church community. It's the impact that it has on our families. It's the impact that we have on our coworkers or the people that we experience as friends or in whatever profession we might be made in. Sin will always bring consequences that must be faced. And so as we get ready to wrap up our time together tonight, here's what I want to leave you with. You know, we've talked a lot about sin. We've talked a lot about brokenness. We've talked a lot about the ways that we try to justify or ignore, the ways that we think that it won't really have an impact on ourselves or an impact on anyone else around us. And I gotta be real, if we had left it here in this place, this would literally be one of the most depressing messages that I've ever been a part of. I might have to fire myself from ever preaching or being in a pulpit again, but here's what I want to remind you of, that hope lives, that hope lives, that hope lives because Jesus became sin for us. One of my favorite verses in scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 21, it just says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, he made a way. He made a way in the midst of the brokenness that you and I experienced. He made a way in the midst of whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, in our life. And tonight I started by just simply asking a question. Have you ever made a mistake? And even when you realized it, you just kept going. And I wonder where... In your life, are you experiencing that brokenness? Where in your life are you experiencing that challenge? Where in your life have you decided that you're actually okay, that it's really not a big deal, that whatever decision or choice that you're making that you know you shouldn't be making is not affecting anyone? In just a moment, we're going to be participating in communion together, and I'm so thankful for the ability to be able to do the ritual of communion, the opportunity that you and I have to remember what exactly it was that Jesus did for every single one of us. And even though we might be experiencing brokenness, and even though we might have convinced ourselves that we're actually okay, sin will always impact everyone. It will always bring consequences that you and I have to face. But the hope that is found is not in a God who is dead, but the hope that is found is in a God who is alive. 
A God who came and who uh, spent the entirety, 33 years or 33-ish years of his life intentionally living the life that he did. One of my favorite things about Jesus in, in his uh, ability to, uh, to be God incarnate is the way that he intentionally chose to walk the path that he chose. Man, that's crazy to me. I try to do like one day, just one day of trying to be perfect. Do you understand how hard that is? Like it is impossible for me to be able to do that. I get frustrated at my kids. I disagree with my wife. My staff does something dumb and I'm like, what are you doing, right? Like we all experience those moments of brokenness, but Jesus lived this intentional life and he knew that he knew that he knew that his life was going to end on a cross and he still did it. Hope lives because Jesus became sin for us. When we sin, God's desire for us is to make it right with him. It's to move forward. And then it's to continue in victory. And that's exactly what happens in the midst of this story. Joshua ends up going, they repent of what has taken place. They go to Ai and they achieve an incredibly crushing victory. And by the way, Joshua chapter seven is the only time in the book of Joshua that there is a defeat that is listed. In every single other moment when we read through the story and what takes place in the book of Joshua, God gives victory after victory after victory. When you and I admit our brokenness, when you and I admit what is going on in our lives, when we respond and when we allow Jesus to come in, we can continue forward. And he is going to give us those victories that we need. We make choices that that can lead to victory or you and I make choices that can lead to defeat and failure. What kind of choices are you making tonight? Maybe more importantly, what kind of choices are you making this week? Don't give lip service to being a follower of Jesus. The call that we have is to give him everything. And it's not a call to perfection because I promise you I'm so far from perfect. So far. There's so much brokenness that exists. But the call that we have is to give him everything. The call that we have is to follow him. May we walk in that hope. May we believe that Jesus came, that he died. And tonight, may we make the choice that we leave sin behind. And so I wanna just invite you to just join me as we pray and as we begin to prepare our hearts to take communion and remember what it was that Jesus did for us And as you bow your heads and as you close your eyes and in just a moment in the quietness of your own heart, I wonder, is there something in your life that you've been holding on to, that you've been trying to convince yourself that you're okay in, that nobody actually knows? Tonight, may you make a choice that will lead you to victory instead of making a choice that will continue to lead you towards defeat. Because even if you feel like it hasn't impacted you now, I promise you at some point it will. Sin always has consequences. And so God, we just simply come before you tonight. Lord, we thank you for the hope that is found in the gift of your son. God, through the way that you loved us enough to be able to send him, that God, in the midst of the brokenness that every single one of us experiences, that hope lives because your son came and spent a sinless life here on this earth, dying for us on a cross, becoming sin so that we might become your righteousness. God, may we hold on to that tonight. And God, I pray for every single one of us that tonight, that we have the courage to listen and the humility to respond to whatever still small voice right now in this moment might be speaking into our hearts. 
God, may we not leave here broken, but may we leave here victorious, knowing that in every instance that we ask for forgiveness, that you do exactly that. God, that you forgive and that you give us a new chance and that you restore us and that you lead us to victory. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. God, we thank you that hope lives because of your son. We love you and we praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.